0: morning everybody. Good morning. Well those of you who have been with us for the last couple of weeks will recall uh, that we have begun a series looking at the various names of God and specifically looking at some of the names of God, a series of names of God that are revealed to his people throughout the Old Testament. And so if you have been with us through the first couple of weeks of that series, hopefully you will remember where we left the Israelites last week. Uh, You might recall that having been uh, freed from slavery and miraculously brought through the Red Sea, um, they began their journey into the desert of Shur. And after three days, they were in need of water, unsurprisingly, since they were in a desert. They come to Mara, a place where there is water, but the water is bitter and not drinkable. And the people grumble to Moses. Moses cries out to God, and he heals the bitter waters of Marah, and the people drink. And there he reveals himself to be Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals you. They move on from that place to Elim, where there is plenty of water, and they find rest, and they are refreshed, and that is the point at which Pastor Glenn left us last week. From there, they continue their journey, reaching the Desert of Sin, which is said to be about halfway between Elim and Sinai. I would show you a map, although there would be little point, because most of the Uh, Places on this journey are quite hotly contested. Um, They reach the Desert of Sin and they find that there is no food there. And the Lord provides it miraculously for them in the form of manna and quail. And that very well-known story that many of you would have covered in your Sunday school years. They move on from there, traveling from place to place, eventually making camp at Rephidim. And again, they find trouble with water. This time, specifically, there is no water. There's nothing for them to drink. And so the people grumble, and they quarrel with Moses. And Moses, unsurprisingly, is just about at his wit's end with them. And so he cries out to God, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord says this to him He says, Walk on ahead of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Now that's a very specific instruction that the Lord is giving at this point to Moses. And when we come across something as specific as that, a detail as specific as that, it is often good for us to pause at that point in the text and wonder at why. Why was that particular detail given to us? Sometimes it helps us to make sense of things, to consider the details, and this is one such example. Moses is instructed to walk on ahead, taking some of the elders with him, and in his hand he is to carry a staff, but not just any staff. It has to be the one with which he struck the waters of the Nile. He's to take that staff and he's to go on ahead to the rock at Horeb, And there the Lord says he will stand before him and there he is to strike that rock and water will come out for the people to drink. Now, if the purpose of taking the staff with him was just so that he had something in his hand with which to strike the rock, then surely any old staff would have done And if he didn't have a staff, then surely he could have just picked up a branch or a stick somewhere along the way if one could be found in the desert. And if not, just whack it with your hand. God was very specific. He had to take a staff and it needed to be the one with which he had struck the waters of the Nile. And so we need to ask ourselves why is that important? We have seen this particular staff in the raised hands of Moses many times already throughout the book of Exodus. God told Moses to take that staff with him to the banks of the Nile and there he was to meet Pharaoh. If you flip back in your Bibles to the, the record of the various plagues, you'll find that there. So Moses, staff in hand go and meet Pharaoh on the banks of the Nile. And he must tell Pharaoh that Pharaoh needs to let the people go and worship him. And when Pharaoh refuses, Moses and Aaron were instructed to raise the staff over the Nile and strike the waters with it. And they did just that. And the rivers or the water turned to blood. This staff in the raised hand of Moses or Aaron is instrumental in bringing forth a number of the plagues. If you just scan through some of those plagues there in your Bible, you'll see time and again Moses is instructed to take the staff, raise it in his hand, and then God brings forth hail or locusts or whatever that particular plague might be. After the final plague when the firstborn in the sons in the families of the uh, Egyptians had died pharaoh wants the israelites out of egypt and he wants them out of there as quickly as possible and so they leave and they make their way out of that place and they gather at the red sea and there they become terrified because before them is the expanse of the red sea and behind them Pharaoh's changed his mind and he's set his armies uh, off to chase them. And so they've got this expansive sea in front of them and behind them an expanse of armies. And God says to Moses, tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch it out over the waters of the Red Sea and divide the water so that Israel can move through on dry ground. And that is exactly what Moses does. And miraculously, the waters part and Israel moves through. So this staff in the raised hands of Moses has been an agent against their enemies. It has been an instrument for their protection. And here we find it as an instrument of provision for them when God provides for them water in the desert out of the rock. Moses raises the staff, he strikes the rock as instructed at Horeb, and there's plenty of water for everyone. Moses calls the place where God provided water out of the rock Massa and Meribah, because he says the Israelites quarreled And because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? And that is the context of this passage, which was read to us by Sharon today, the context of the passage that we're going to deal with today. Verse 7, is the Lord among us or not? And verse 8 begins our passage for today where that question is going to be put to rest once and for all. So in verse 8, Israel is about to discover that perhaps hunger and thirst are not the worst things that you can come across in the desert. They, for the first time since leaving Egypt, are about to face some serious opposition and it is going to come in the form of the Amalekites. Now, we might wonder who the Amalekites are. Well, there's a lot of detail up there in that genealogy, but it's really quite simple. You don't need to follow it all through. Uh, Abraham, married to Sarah, received God's promises. The promised child was born to them, Isaac. Isaac married Rebecca, and they had the twin sons, Esau, And Jacob. From Jacob came the 12 sons who would be the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. From Esau came the sons who would become the chiefs of Edom and one of those was Amalek and the descendants of Amalek were the Amalekites. And so you can see that they were closely related. They were descendants of cousins. And yet, being so closely related, it would be the Amalekites who would oppose Israel time and time and time again throughout their journey. They were a numerous and a powerful people, and Josephus, the historian, tells us that they were the most warlike of the nations that lived in that area. Deuteronomy records for us the way in which they came at the Israelites as they first um, began on their journey. Uh, Remember says Moses, what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. So they'd just been freed from slavery. They weren't an organised army ready for battle. They were weary and they were worn out from the journey. From time to time they'd gone without food and water. And what did these Amalekites do? They cut off all who were lagging behind and they had no fear of God. And so God said that he would blot out the memory of these Amalekites from under heaven. Now at this point in our passage for today, I'm convinced that Moses is well aware of the significance of the staff in his raised hand. But I'm not so sure that the Israelites are. Time and again... God has worked miracles on their behalf, and yet still, in the immediate context of this passage, they are still asking the question, is the Lord among us or not? Moses, I think, was well aware of the significance because when this army of warlike people comes at them, There's no sense of panic at all. Moses simply says to Joshua, choose some men, some men from this bunch who were weary and not really well organised for battle. Choose some men and go and fight them. And what would he, Moses, do? He wasn't going to fight with them. He was going to head up the hill. Taking what with him? He was going to take the staff of God in his hands. And so that's what happens. The Israelites here at this point, I think, are about to be given a remedial lesson. Is the Lord among us or not? That is their question. They're about to be shown without any shadow of a doubt whether or not the Lord is among them. So Moses and Aaron, who were at the time the two leaders of Israel at this point, they leave the people under the direction of Joshua, who was a a sort of young up-and-coming leader, and they head up the hill with one of my favourite Bible characters, the otherwise largely unknown Her. And so Joshua takes the men that he's chosen off into battle, and Moses heads up the hill and he takes with him the staff of God in his hand. Hopefully, it was a bit more sturdy than this one here. So, you guys are going to help me today by being the Israelites. No one's going to have to slay anybody with any kind of sword. But this is a remedial lesson for Israel, and I'm imagining that this is kind of how it went. So when the hands go up, all you need to do is be enthusiastic and cheer. A bit of a yay. Now, first service were much less numerous than you, and they they were quite good at this. So hands go up. Yay. Very good. And the hands go down. You're—that's right. You're losing the battle, and you may well die. So no enthusiasm on the hands down. We just hear a ah, oh. right. So Moses, Aaron, and her head up the hill. And Moses simply yeah. raises his hands with the raised staff and the battles being won down in the valley. Now, battles generally aren't short. I mean, look at the battles that are going on around the world at the moment. We had hoped that many of them would be short, but they drag on and they drag on. And there's only so long you can physically hold your hands up in the air before they start getting tired. So Moses has the staff up in the air but eventually he starts to get tired. But he can see what's happening and so he musters a bit more strength and the staff goes up and staff goes down and staff goes up and staff goes down and staff goes up And and staff goes down. And it's pretty evident to anyone who's fighting the battle what is happening because Moses has positioned himself on a hill where he can be seen. And as soon as his hands start to drop, the battle is lost. And Aaron and her can see exactly what's happening. And so they get a stone and they roll it in for weary Moses to sit down on. And the staff goes back up and they hold it up. And the battle is finally one. Joshua and the men he had chosen defeat the Amalekites. And it took them until sunset to do it. I think the Israelites got the answer to the question, is the Lord among us or not? Most definitely he was among them. The battle would have been lost if he was not among them. The point of this lesson is that the staff in the raised hands of Moses is an agent of the Lord. It is a sign to them of his power and of his presence that is among them. He works through them when they depend on him. No battle will be too great for them when they depend upon him. And if you want proof that this staff in the raised hands of Moses is an agent of the Lord, then we need to go back To the first time where it was held out high, and that is to the first of those plagues, the plague of blood. And just have a look at in whose hands the staff is at that time. So the Lord sends Moses out to meet Pharaoh at the Nile, and he tells him to tell Pharaoh to let the people go so that they can worship him in the desert. And then he says but until now you have not listened and this is what the lord says by this you will know that i am the lord with the staff that is in my hand i will strike the waters of the nile and it will be changed into blood now at this point it is moses who is standing in front of Pharaoh with a staff in his hand. When it is raised over the Nile, it will be raised in the hands of Aaron and Moses. And yet God says, the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the waters. He will work through them. And he will work for them when they depend on him. And I have no doubt that Moses understood that because when he tells Joshua to go out and fight, he says he doesn't say, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with my staff in my hands. What he says is, tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Is the Lord among us or not? Definitely he is among us and he will fight for us. The message to the Israelites is very clear. Keep on trusting. They will face many, many, many more battles on their journey to come. Even after they enter the promised land, They will face many, many, many more trials in their years in the wilderness. They are to keep on trusting. He is with them. He is the banner over them. Moses built an altar there and he called it Yahweh Nisi, the Lord is my banner. And he said, for hands were lifted up to the altar of the Lord or to the throne of the Lord. Now, all of us, I think, are familiar with banners. We still use banners a lot in our own culture. When the Australian team later this year in June or July heads off to Paris to the Olympic Games, they will do so under a banner. The banner will be, of course, the Australian flag. Their banner is like an announcement. It speaks to everyone of what their cause is. Their cause is this country, Australia. They will compete for Australia. And they will do so together because the banner is like a rallying point for the whole team. In fact, for the whole country. The team are united beneath their flag or their banner. And it doesn't matter if your banner is a national flag, or if it is maybe something that you're holding up at a protest rally or something that your favourite football team is going to run through, the banner is a rallying point for the people. It is a visual announcement for others to see. Uh, It tells people to take note of whose side we're on and what cause we support. In ancient times, A banner was not necessarily a flag, and it wasn't necessarily anything that was made out of cloth. Often it was just a pole that had something bright and shiny on top. There's an example on the screen up there of a Roman-style one. The word itself can be translated various ways in English. So the same Hebrew word can be translated as banner, but it can also be pole, Uh, it can be ensign, or it can be standard. And when ancient armies went to war, they did so under a standard. They raised a standard and it would be a rallying point for them and an announcement to everyone about the fact that they were at war and about whose side they were on. And so for this reason, standards were often raised on top of hills because they communicated an announcement to people. Um, Moses stood on a hill where he could easily be seen by everyone in the valley below. And repeatedly in battles throughout the biblical text, you will see a command to raise a standard or raise a banner on the hill. There's a couple of examples there as where it's used. The first two are from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 4, and they talk about the time when uh, Babylon invaded. Lift up a standard towards Zion. Seek refuge. Do not stand still, for I am bringing evil from the north and great destruction. And then when that destruction happens, Jeremiah laments, disaster follows disaster. The whole land lies in ruin. And then he says, how long? Must I see the battle standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? And then from Isaiah 13, 3. Raise a banner on a bare hilltop. Well, the Israelites journeyed through the wilderness for many years and God never left them and he never failed to provide for their needs. You would think, that the lesson that they had received there at Rephidim would have sunk in. But evidently, over time, the joy of the miraculous provision of manna and quail and water and uh, the miraculous winning of battles, all of that seemed to fade uh, when other problems came upon them. And again, they would resort to grumbling. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. What once had been an absolute joy to them, the miraculous provision of God's food for them. And we detest this miserable food. God sends venomous snakes at this point among them. Many of them are bitten. Many of them die. The people become aware of their great sin. And they come to Moses confessing and begging him to pray to the Lord for them so that he might take the snakes away. Well, God doesn't take the snakes away. Instead, he instructs Moses to make a snake, a model of a snake, which he does out of bronze, and to raise it on a pole. That same word that is translated as banner or standard. Moses is to raise the bronze snake as a standard for Israel. It would be a symbol of God's love and of his provision for his rebellious people. Whenever someone was bitten by a snake, all they had to do was to look at that raised standard and they would be healed from the consequences of their sin and they would live. And doesn't that sound very, very familiar? On another hill, God would later raise another standard a way to provide for his people, a way that they could be healed from the consequences of their sin and live. At the cross on the hill, Jesus became Yahweh's banner, a signal for everyone to see, proclaiming God's great love for a rebellious people. And all who would look to him would find healing and eternal life. Now, if you think it's a bit of a stretch, maybe, to describe Jesus as a banner, you might have to take that up with one of the other prophets because that is exactly how Isaiah describes him in that very well known passage that speaks of a shoot coming out from the stump of Jesse, a branch. From the roots now you might remember the stump of jesse jesse uh, was the father of david through him came the monarchy uh, for israel and that monarchy was cut off at the exile which is why it's described here as a stump and from that stump would spring this branch from its roots that would bear much fruit and the prophet describes that stump as a banner in that day at describes the branch as a banner. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. The nations will rally to him, not to it. The branch is a person to him and his place of rest Will be glorious it's a messianic prophecy it's speaking about jesus when moses stood on that hill raising his arms with his staff in hand god showed the people that he would be victorious on their behalf when moses held high the bronze snake as a standard in the desert god provided for a repentant people a way for them to be healed from the consequences of their sin and to live. Both of these things come together and see their fulfillment in Christ when he was raised as a standard or banner for the people on another hill many, many years later. All who trust in him for the journey just like Moses trusted, just like Aaron and Hur and Joshua trusted, all who trust in him will experience victory. They will be healed from the consequences of their sin and will live with him forever in that glorious place of rest. Now at the end of the, the battle with the Amalekites, God told Moses to write the story down as something to be remembered. This lesson that he gave there at Rephidim was not something that he wanted anyone to forget. He wanted Joshua to remember it and he wants us to remember it. So he commanded Moses to write it down. When they were slaves coming up, or former slaves, weary from their travel, coming up against a mighty army, he wanted to remem- them to remember who won the battle for them. He wanted them to remember under which banner they were fighting. He wanted them to remember that they could trust him 100% for the rest of their journey, no matter what that journey might entail. Moses was going to die, Aaron was going to die, eventually Joshua was going to die, and the next generation needed to remember the lessons learnt there in that battle. And so they were commanded to write them down. They could trust him 100% for the journey and we can trust him 100% for our journey. Our enemy, Satan, is active and he's active against God's people in every generation. But God has already raised a banner for us. He has already won the battle for us. And we can trust him 100% to lead us safely home. Let's pray. Lord, as Moses lifted up his hand on that hill, with the staff raised in it, a symbol of his prayerful dependence upon you for the victory, Lord, may we do likewise. May we face the enemy satan with that same calm assurance that moses had because you lord are our banner you go before us and you have already won the victory for us and now lord with your spirit in us may we your church Also be like a standard raised on the hill for everyone to see. A symbol of your love for all the world. Amen.